Empire Podcast this week. Roger Donaldson, director of No Way Out in 13 Days, drops by the pod booth to talk about his latest movie, McLaren. Plus all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that wasn't looking. But somehow you found me. I try to hide from your love light. But like heaven above me, the spy who loved me is keeping all my secrets safe tonight. Hello, Roger, wherever you are. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast, brought to you in association by those lovable chaps at mustard.co.uk. If you want car insurance compared, there's just there's literally nobody better than these guys. I can't think of anyone better than mustard.co.uk. That's a Hewitt recommendation. Take that to the bank. Um, this week, I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning, uh, only two of whom have actually turned up at the time of recording the podcast. Uh, so never mind the third, he'll pop in at some point. Um, but Twin Peaks, we've got Twin Peaks fever this week. And so I'm delighted to welcome our very own geek queen, our very own log lady, who is branching out these days into becoming a pod lady, mm. you see? And not because she likes to give men wood. Oh, it's Chris. Helen O'Hara. Mm. Yes, I, I have a message from my log here and it says, please stop. So. Cease what? and desist. No, 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 you like to give presents of twigs and leaves and stuff to men. What did you think I meant? Um, I mean, I thought that that was it, but it just seemed like a really odd thing to say. Yeah, well, you know, I just like to keep the listeners informed. Uh, next up is our very own Jurassic World co-star, a man who has escaped from the Red Room to come in here and talk backwards, or seems like it's backwards, for the next hour or so. It's Nick Dissemlian. How are you? Ole, which is hello backwards. <laughs> I, had to, I had to write that down to make sure that was right. It just sounds like I'm saying hello in Spanish, right? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, the Empire Office is a bit like the Red Room. There's sort of creepy talking trees and dancing midgets, all kinds of stuff. Mm. Are you can, sure I say, that... can I say midget? I'm not sure I can. Little person, I believe, is the... Uh... Okay. You want to do it again? Yeah. <clears throat> the, yeah, the Empire Office is a lot like the Red Room from Twin Peaks. There's creepy talking trees and little dancing people, and it's a uh, pretty, pretty awful carpet as well. Yeah. <laughs> But enough about Chris and James. Uh, oh, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Have you, um, you, anyone watching Twin Peaks? I haven't caught up with you. I'm still behind a MasterChef. I'm still behind a Great British Menu. I cannot, I'm still behind in billions. I can't get ahead of myself to watch Twin Peaks. I am also behind because I've been reviewing a couple of TV shows for uh, this August publication, including Orange is the New Black, which kept me going all of last weekend. Ooh. So yeah, there's so much good TV. Oh, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen all four episodes of the new Twin Peaks that are available thus far, mm. and I'm loving it. Uh, more of it is set inside a plug socket than I was expecting. <laughs> um, I was expecting 95% of it to be set inside a plug socket, so we're doing 96%. okay. 96%. <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild. Um, episode three in particular. Well, yeah, I mean you of... um, you showed James Dyer. James Dyer, by the way, is the the missing link from this podcast at the moment. Uh, he is on his He's way. He's in the plug socket. Yeah, he thought we were starting recording at 4 o'clock. We're actually starting recording at 3 o'clock. Uh, he found this out at quarter to 3. So he's on his way. He's trapped in a glass box in New York, a reference you'll get if you've seen Twin Peaks. Otherwise, don't worry about it. Um, and you showed five minutes of episode 3 to us. I to showed James you guys five minutes of it last night, out of context, uh, in the evening. And uh, what were your thoughts on it? Uh, well, <laughs> as a Twin Peaks fan... I was okay with it. It seems more inland empire-y than anything necessarily in Twin Peaks. But James, who is not a Twin Peaks fan or a David Lynch fan or a, or fan of anything, really, let's be honest, um, <laughs> he was a bit nonplussed by the whole thing. Yeah, he's watching it at the moment. I reckon I'd be okay with it because I'm watching American Gods. So I feel like if I can keep up with that, then there's at least hope. 
but yeah. I can keep up with Twin Peaks ish. Maybe. It's, uh, and it, Michael Cera is amazing in it, and it has David Lynch returning as a uh, hearing impaired FBI agent who is <laughs> uh, working with David Duchovny in a dress. So I mean, super on this board. Is, yeah, that's I'm, exactly my kind of thing. Show. Yeah. Well, I need well, to write down goodbye and then work out with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to work that out before the end of the show. It's Abe Dog. Abe Dog. Abe Dog. Abe Dog. Abe Dog. Abe Dog. Which is uh, Empire Podcast backwards for We Have a Question. Ooh, how exciting. We have a question. And the question comes from podcast question poser regular uh, NC Low uh, via Twitter who says, since miracles can happen, I don't know what this is in relation to. I think I it was, What was it in relation to? It's in relation to a news story this week um, about a film being made uh, that someone had suggested on Twitter uh, and, and it's now going into production. Ah, of course. So so should, we, is, should we give some background We should give this? a bit of, of yeah. context. So there was a, there was a picture published uh, from, New, I think, New York Fashion Week, but a Fashion Week a couple of years ago, which showed Lupita Nyong'o in a fabulous sort of very prim ensemble with some glasses sitting next to Rihanna in like a fabulous like over the top crazy fur coat situation. Rihanna over the top? I know it seems crazy and someone said I just want to see a heist movie with these two and Rihanna is the master thief and Lupita is her technical support. Now we don't know that that's the plot but we do know that a film with the two of them is now happening um, the the Twitter thread had gone on to suggest Ava DuVernay to direct and Issa Rae to, to write that also seems to be possibly happening Ava's signed up uh, Issa's in talks this is this is pretty cool, honestly. It's a pretty cool idea. And what's, what's happening? I actually genuinely hope it is a heist movie because I think they, they'd be great together. This, this is, no, this is well, happening. Uh, Get well, with it. So what's the question now? Well, can any good come of this? I yes. Mean, Did I, you hear the I bit don't... where I said Rihanna and Lupita Nyong'o? Wait a second. And Ava DuVernay? Yes. Right. But is okay. the plot going to have them trapped inside the internet? Is it? No, I think it's going to be like an actual film. It should film. be like Inception and they're literally trapped inside a meme and, and trying to get out. Yeah. I think it should not be like Inception. We've all done tweets that deserve to be films. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, but anyway, it will, it will follow Ava DuVernay's work on A Wrinkle in Time, which obviously comes first. So this isn't imminent, but Netflix is producing it and it is wow. a thing that is happening. The world is a crazy place. Maybe crazier. Maybe Natalie Lowe's question can be turned into a film as well. <gasps> Inception. It could be since, a trilogy. You're not yeah. thinking big enough. But what is the question? The question, Helen, since you asked, is Thank from you. NC Lowe and says, uh, she says, since miracles can happen, what internet meme or, uh, sorry, meme or fan idea would you like to see turned into a film? And that was a deliberate mispronunciation, by the way, of meme because someone thought I was uh, uh, unable to pronounce the word sword last week because <laughs> we were talking about King Arthur Legend of the Sword and I kept pronouncing it as sword when everyone knows it's sword, right? Uh, obviously. Yeah. It's like Draculaire. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm pronouncing it right, people. Mm-hmm. So, the question was... Uh, would you like to see a film called Sword of Draculaire? No. Okay. Um, uh, no, the question was... Al- although, if everybody was had broad Belfast accents or something, then I think, yes, I'd be back on board. With Draculaire? Yeah. Get away, Out of the Dad. dark universe. <laughs> Bloody hell, that's pretty good. Thanks, man. I'm, that was I'm pretty stop. good. I, I learned to stop when I'm ahead. With impressions, <laughs> say two words and then stop. That was genuinely good. Thanks. Thanks. I mean, that's, I think, I mean, I have to listen back yeah, to it. it All right. Wrong, the question is, what internet meme or fan idea would you like to see turned into a film? Helen's raised her hand immediately. <laughs> I yeah. have. Um, I would like to see 
the movie of Sad Keanu. <laughs> and and it would be a Christmas movie because oh. everybody would come together worldwide to cheer up Keanu. So what is the original Sad Keanu image? Is it, was it him on a bench? It was him on a bench staring mournfully at a sandwich, half eaten. <laughs> so uh, we'll get the, backstory, the origin story for that sandwich. We could get the origin story, yeah. Is he sad because of the sandwich? Well, the one, the, the thing I haven't quite figured out yet is how to combine it with water into wine Keanu. Have you seen that meme as well? Where... Uh, Keanu can actually turn water into wine. Oh, wait, we're being joined by an interloper. Hang on. Hang on, what's happening? What's happening? It's the Babadook. Here he comes. Hi. Here he comes. Come join us. Come join us forever. Oh. 17 minutes late. That's fine. Or technically speaking, James Dyer, 43 minutes early. Unbelievable. Fucking Camden. <laughs> it's so far away. <laughs> I remember when we used to just it's a hop, skip and a jump. You just yeah. walk down the corridor, you're in the pod booth. Now there's hippies, there's joysticks, there's at least two tubes. Someone tried to pierce me walking down the high street. That was, that was Nick. <laughs> I'm exhausted. There you go. Well, we're, we're just about to tackle this week's question. Okay. So thank you for Danny to join us. You're uh, uh, so the question is, which internet fan meme or fan idea would you like to see turned into a film? Helen has already got the right answer, which is Sad Keanu. The movie. The whole world comes together to cheer Keanu up. Come on. Yeah, okay. doesn't say that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he was a bit sad in, in John Wick and John Wick Chapter 2, wasn't he? But they cheered him up by... By, by killing everyone. By killing, killing everyone. everyone. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So maybe he'll know. kill everyone with the sandwich in this one. Instead of gun, and the gun pigeon, food, and the pigeon, there were pigeons as well on the ground. If you remember, the so. I mean, this is all coming together. Can he team up with happy Leonardo DiCaprio? <laughs> That's my <laughs> other... I've, li- I've literally got that written down. I mean, let me just verify this. Happy Leo, sad Keanu... Yes, she has. So, the whole she cinematic has. universe. <laughs> oh, and uh, Success Kid. You remember the one, the kid going, you know, doing the sort of fist pump, that, that oh, sort of yeah. chubby toddler? No? I don't remember that, no. no they, they he, or she, everything. he or she may have grown up by now, which you know, might it, be difficult. It, it, it's still wise. used on all kind of... Like, our company sends it around. Whenever they want to say, hey, we're sending around something free, you'll get success. success. So this is, like really? the, this is like the emoticon movie, uh, the emoji movie. Oh, no, it's going to be better. But no, but just in terms of everyone has one emotion, <laughs> so it's sad Keanu teaming up with... Um, well, no, but maybe like, maybe like Happy Leo is just like a moment in the dance number that finishes the movie. Okay. There's a dance number that finishes okay. the movie. I think there's a Midnight Run type movie here. I think we have uh, Happy Leo. He's very much the Charles Grodin character. He's the motor mouth. He just won't shut up. And then you have Sad Keanu, who's the taciturn, angry Robert De Niro character. You know, I got two words for you. Shut the fuck up. He's he's that guy. And they, they, they're attacked by mobsters. And sure. pigeons. And, and pigeons. success kids. <gasps> the good drug, feathers. Drug dealing pigeons. The good feathers from backpacks. Animaniacs. Oh yeah, I saw that. Oh yeah, the drug dealing pigeon. <laughs> was it like, was a pigeon drug dealing? <laughs> or was the pigeon just a I think the evidence is pretty overwhelming. It was, the pigeon was a mule. Yeah. It's a patsy. <laughs> That's just confusing. <laughs> Will we get a cameo from Irma Gerd girl? Oh, that would be good too. <laughs> and leave Britney alone, boy. And the dancing oh. baby. And the Star Wars kid. <laughs> I mean this we is this so is making the, the du- <laughs> This is making the <laughs> These are 1985's greatest memes. Well, isn't, isn't, am I right? Dancing Baby's got to be among, if not the first internet meme, has it Dancing not? Dancing Baby's yeah, now probably. 35 I mean, years that's old. That's like 95. I mean, wow. that's in the first season of Ali McBeal. And then all, all your base are belong to us. That's, yeah. that's like 99. Yeah. Well, that's the one I was going to suggest because yeah. I don't remember any really cracking memes, but all your base are belong to us would be a fantastic one. Slightly illiterate aliens come to Earth <laughs> and try and take over the planet. But they just can't. They get. They can't get past the language barrier. So they they, they host the Empire Podcast. Hey, hey there we they go. They need to license it because it's. Uh, it was a an eighty eight video game called Zero Wing. Is what it comes from. 
So, yeah. I knew a, there was a reason we got to that, that's, that's why I'm here. That's I'm going to say the correct answer to this question is, of course, The Ballad of Leroy Jenkins. I, was about I her, thought you were going to suggest that, yeah. Absolutely the film that I would pay to see. Cause what's, the, what's the plot? At least he has chicken. You're pitching this to a studio. Uh, what, what is I'm the, pitching what is this to a studio. Structure? Well, funnily enough, during a raid at Upper Blackrock Spire oh, in God. World of Warcraft. You asked for it. <laughs> you did ask for it. Uh, the paladin Leroy Jenkins charges into the rookery and aggravates a room full of angry <laughs> so whelps. So is, is, is the film you're pitching just a, a sort of overweight teenager? Add a keyboard. Is it like a disaster movie for Leroy Jenkins and then the whole film is his redemption? But, uh, probably involving chicken. Okay. Yeah. What, why, why does chicken Do you know, There's a bit of working well, runs into know. it and they're like, uh, and at one point someone says, at least he has chicken. I don't really understand the reference, but he, that is one of the lines in the yeah. video of, okay. of, of the Leroy looking Jenkins glass. Um, Good times. I saw. I saw. It's a very fresh meme. In fact, I think it was only made yesterday. But uh, by I saw you. an image. No, not made. Might be Donald Trump at the Vatican with the Pope. But yes. someone has photoshopped in uh, all these great horror icons, including yeah. the, the twins from The Shining, Damien from The Omen, the yeah. Babadook, the Nun, and that's amazing. I want to see that film. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. Who so, scary it, so who would be the goodie in this situation? Is it the Pope? Is he the good guy who has to fight them all, including the Donald Trump? Is, yeah, the Pope is locked inside a chapel yeah. with this all was, these evil forces. This was Sistine a better, Chapel. Oh, yeah. This was a better Dark Universe picture than the actual <laughs> Dark Universe picture that they released this which week. Which we'll get to, yeah. Which we will get to, obviously. But um, So it's like Die Hard, but with the Pope and <laughs> with, <laughs> with evil, creepy nuns and children. I would, I would watch that. Whoever would, stars in this movie must be wearing the dress. The, dre- the oh. dress. They have to be wearing the dress. And in you? every every other frame, in one frame, it's blue and black, and in the other frame, <laughs> it's, it's white and gold, <laughs> and it strobes between them all the way through the oh, film. That's terrifying, man. Yeah. The dress. That, that alone could make a, its own terrifying movie. Did, I tell you, did you guys see the other week when I didn't go quite as viral as the dress, but I hit upon my very own dress-esque conundrum. Uh, I think one of you was sitting alongside me, I think, at the Guardians 2 big screening in London, and they put you know, that poster up. You know the poster of the one of the posters they released, the Guardians 2 movie, <laughs> the, Guard, the Guardians 2 movie, that one, uh, where they're all standing against a wall, leaning yep. against a wall, looking really, really cool in black and white. And yes. I, I was like, oh, no one's looking at the camera in this. None of the Guardians are too cool for school. None of them was looking, no one's looking at the camera. And then I realized that Zoe Saldana's Gamora is looking at the camera. Except, here's the thing. Genuinely, if you put this, if you shoot this picture to people, 50-50 split, people would say she's not looking at the camera and 50 people would say she is looking at the camera. So that's my own version of that dress. Is it white and gold? Is it black and blue? Take a look at home in your own time. Look up the Guardians 2 poster. Black and white. Gamora is the only one looking in the direction of the camera. I say she's looking at the camera. Some people say she's looking off. Let me know what you wow. think. Wow. Okay. It's almost hard to believe this didn't take off in the same way the dress Shut did. the hell up! <laughs> i got two words for you, shut the hell up! I think she's looking down into the side. It hasn't got the making of a fantastic 100-minute like, film, though, does it? Someone looking slightly towards the camera for, for, for 100 minutes straight. I don't know, we just saw something that... I have, I have anyway. uh, another great idea for this. Yeah. And Chris, I think you're really going to like this. Is it... Uh, yes, okay, what is it? Dog rates the movie. Oh... Uh, Great idea. I don't know where I go with Would it. Would watch 12 out of 10. There you go. So there's a website called Dog Rates that basically there's... Uh, All they do is rate dogs. Yeah. So this guy Nelson, I think is his name. Anyway. Sorry, uh, you said rate, right? Rate. Okay. With a T. Very important. Carry on. That's so wrong. Yes. Uh, so it's a great website and they rate cute pictures of dogs and I love dogs. Yeah. So I've got one more. Okay, go on. Civil War Nicolas Cage. 
Now there's a famous black and white <laughs> photograph from the Civil War. And oh, Nicolas Cage is in this photo. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it looks exactly like him. I don't know what the movie is. Maybe mm. it's the real life Nicolas Cage going back in time to find out if that's really him. <laughs> and there's, isn't the, actually, this brings us back to Keanu because there's a like 19th century picture of Keanu out there. I'm not kidding. Right. Um, and weirdly, Kim Newman found a picture of me at a girls' school in the 1920s. That he took? <laughs> or someone who looks like me. So, you know, maybe there's a... maybe there's a. Yeah, you didn't deny that, did you, Helen? You didn't deny that at all. How old are you? I'm very well preserved, Chris. Okay, forever sleep. Uh, just a very quick thing, because I use GIFs quite a lot, because that's what the kids do, uh, and I, I often deploy the... There's two GIFs from Kirby Enthusiasm, which I love. There's one of Larry David pretending to faint... Uh, to get out of something horrendous, um, but in a really bad way. And there's also the Jerry Seinfeld one where he goes to see the producers and he leaves the play and he just puts his hands up and goes, no, I've had enough of this. I love that gift. Do you guys use other gifts? Do you use anything like that? I will say the Star Wars app, the official Star Wars iPhone app, has a gift for every occasion, sorted by emotion. It's awesome. I recommend it. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I use that a lot. Also, anything from Predator. <laughs> I use um, Terry Crews dancing in Brooklyn Nine-Nine for most occasions. Um, Captain America either tearing up a log or holding a helicopter for most occasions. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of Avengers gifts. I oh, and uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler high-fiving for most Gifts are great. They're, they're very addictive. There is one mm-hmm. for every occasion. I've been dipping into the Twin Peak uh, GIF archives recently and uh, found one of uh, Dale Cooper looking very sleepy and spilling coffee to denote people st- who stayed up till 4am to watch it lunatics <laughs> um, but yeah there is one you can type in anything and there'll be a, a hilarious gift happiness must always be Flash from Zootopia yeah. Who's Flash the, the from slow Zootopia? motion grin oh yeah oh, the sloth the yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. it's called Flash, Flash. Flash yeah. never knew the name irony yeah. there we go that's right interesting Okay, I hope that has appeased NCLO. Uh, and uh, if you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, you can do so by sending them in via Twitter, where we're at Empire Magazine. Please use the hashtag Empire Podcast, or chances are we won't see it. Uh, you can also Facebook us, where we're Empire Magazine, and you can email us as well at podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, let's start off with uh, the movie news. And we're going to start off with some very sad news uh, that, that broke this week, that uh, Zack Snyder is stepping down as director of Justice League uh, to be replaced by Joss Whedon. Um, we don't really want to go into the, the details. They are out there if you want to look at them, but he has a, he's had a family tragedy. And so he and his wife, Deborah Snyder, are stepping back from that movie. And Joss Whedon, who was on board already to uh, do some rewriting for some additional shooting, is going to step into the, the director's chair, basically just to shepherd the movie towards completion. Yeah, so I think they've got a couple of weeks now coming up here in the UK of additional shooting and obviously still editing and so on left to be done and, and finalising of effects and scoring and that kind of thing uh, that all comes into this this stage of production. Um, basically, they... They, Zack Snyder wanted to to stick with the the November release date. He initially thought he'd he'd sort of get through this time by throwing himself into work, and then came to decide that that was not that that was not working, and that was not working for him and his family. So he has completely understandably stepped away, and uh, and Whedon's stepping up. So I mean, just you know, all our best really to the mm. Snyders uh, and to all their other uh, their children as well, and. Um, you know, we hope that they get through this horrendous time, and uh, and best of luck to Joss Whedon. Uh, you know, stepping up to to a huge job, um, which I'm sure is fairly well on, but it's still no easy thing to step into another director's shoes. And uh, yeah, best of luck to all involved, really. Yeah, 
Especially whenever uh, the statement was released this week, says that you know he has to adhere to the style. It's a template that Zack Snyder has created, and yeah, yeah. So it's more of a just a shepherding job, I, I think. Oh yeah, the, this is not suddenly going to turn into yeah. a Jossathon. Yeah, but it's, it's it's very very sad. I've um, I'm sure you guys have all interviewed Zack Snyder and Deborah Snyder. Yeah. And I've mm-hmm. done so many times over the years, going way back to. 300 I think I did 300 yeah yeah you did 300 and them, uh, yeah. they're really 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 great people yeah. and we wish them all the best and um, and uh, hope they can get past this really tricky time okay so what else is happening in the world of movies should we week? talk about the dark universe let's yes. do it we talked about it earlier on let's, 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 let's seal the deal all right. Well, Universal uh, released... It was the first group photograph of all the stars of the Dark Universe. So obviously Tom Cruise uh, will be uh, seen in The Mummy very shortly as paramilitary archaeologist, and I can't remember his name. <coughs> um, Nick Morton. Nick Morton. Okay. And uh, Russell Crowe as uh, Mr. Jeff Jekyll. Hendricks. Jeff Hendricks. <laughs> no. <laughs> Dr. Henry Jekyll, That's I think. It. That's yeah, there the we one. go. From the book, Hendricks and Jekyll. <laughs> The other two uh, people in the photograph are Johnny Depp. Indeed. Three, three people, people. In the photograph. Three people. Yeah. There's three people. Um, yeah. So there's Johnny Depp as the Invisible Man. All too visible in this case. Disappointingly visible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Sophia Boutella. Oh, yeah. Uh, is it Amanet? Amanet. The, mum, the mummy? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, yes. yes that's uh, right. Javier yes. Bardem, obviously, as well. Uh, Frankenstein's monster is in there too. Uh, and the picture is appropriately quite dark. <laughs> and they're um, all wearing dark colours I like that attention to detail yes and Very we well should done. point out that Javier Bardem is uh, going to be in Bride of Frankenstein yes he will yeah. appear as uh, the husband of the Bride of Frankenstein <laughs> in <laughs> the Bride of Frankenstein well it's nice that they're avoiding you know doing another origin story for a monster who I think we could all recite his origin <laughs> pretty easily mm. um Obviously, there's still lots more cast teams to be on. That's that's going to be the next one. That's going to be Valentine's Day 2019. So there's a romantic yeah. night out. They've taken, they've, there was one going to come out in 2018, which they hadn't named. I imagine that might have been The Invisible Man. And now it has become invisible. And who knows whether he'll show up <laughs> in, in this next one. How are you feeling about the. There's a lot of star power. I've I got to admit, I kind of it's cool seeing Tom Cruise and Johnny Depp next to each other. Yeah. Uh, that's I, true. I mean, I'm guessing they'll be in a film ticket. Do you think they'll actually be in the same film? Well, listen, it all depends on whether our theory is correct and Cruz is the glue that holds these movies together. They're saying at the moment that the... Uh, and of course, you could argue that, before we get into that, that they're running before they can walk, announcing these movies before The Mummy comes out. Mm-hmm. We don't know how The Mummy's going to do or mm-hmm. how it's going to be received, but they must be fairly confident. And Bill Condon, as a director of Bride of Frankenstein, is a very, very interesting choice, given his history with James Whale and Gods and Monsters and yeah. all that sort of stuff. He feels like a very safe pair of hands. Yeah, yeah, he does. After Beauty and the Beast. I think everything he does is very well thought out and very polished, and Beauty and the Beast was excellent, I thought. And if he's that big a fan of James Whale, he's probably mm-hmm. that big a fan of the original. And so yeah. that's going to give it a real texture and a sort of a historical depth me, to it. That gives know? me real confidence for that one. Yeah. Uh, the, the Invisible uh, Man, I mean, can it live up to Chevy Chase? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, or Kevin, Kevin Bacon, I mean. Yes, yeah, right, uh, Hollow Man. Yeah. Mm. yeah but what do you think about this, so that this Dark Universe thing? Because it's yeah. clearly an incredibly cynical move, but that doesn't necessarily make it... <laughs> well, it is, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. And it, it quite interests me. These films in isolation yeah. maybe have less appeal to me than these films as a collective whole. I'm, I'm curious as to I'm, how I'm intrigued. Together. I mean, the Universal Monsters were such a big presence in cinema for so long, and, and some of those films are still really fun to watch. Um, some of them dragged like nothing else, but, but most 
of them are really, really fun to watch. And so I, I think it's I think it's a good idea. I think, you know, if everybody else is going through their archives and raiding them for big names, these all still yeah. have name recognition. These are all still sort of iconic concepts. And if you can make good films out of them, which is always the main problem, then uh, great. I mean, I'm not thrilled about Johnny Depp having a third studio giving him a franchise, which seems weird right now but uh, you know otherwise I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it mm. well, I still think they should have gone the Abbott and Costello route and cast Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and had them going around <laughs> meeting all the monsters but oh. Nick Frost has his own movie news this week which we'll, we'll talk about uh, in a few minutes mm. Captain Pugwash situation but you know this is I don't know it's, it's intriguing but what makes me hope is that maybe Hammer will get their act together and remake their own classic films and we have the Hammer Dracula and the Universal Dracula and the Hammer Frankenstein and the Universal Frankenstein and so on and so forth that would be really, really fun. But just like with British character actors and these big Hollywood A-listers. But that's the thing. You look at this picture and it's star power, star power, star power. Boom. You know, it, it, it doesn't feel like necessarily if you get the Justice League or the, the Avengers together back in the day. Mm. Um, but I'd love to see like the British version of this. You know, Michael McIntyre as Dracula. That'd be <laughs> terrible. That'd be kind of amazing. Welcome to my castle. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> Be great. Paddy McGuinness. Paddy, Mc, Paddy McGuinness is Frankenstein's monster. Amazing. Oh, the mummy. Oh, look, I yeah. always thought you looked like Arnold Vosley anyway. Um, <laughs> Do you know who Paddy McGuinness is? Peter Kay as the creature from the Black Lagoon. I'd love to see this movie. Um, but the, the, our theory that I was talking about, and then I rudely interrupted myself, was uh, that Cruz is a glue that holds the movies together, and our theory is that he will be revealed at the end of The Mummy as a descendant of Van Helsing, and he will have to fight all these creatures. And this might explain why uh, the next one isn't out until 2019, because little Tommy Cruise is a little bit busy at the moment. He's doing Mission Impossible 6, and then he's got, well, he's got something else Top after that. Top Gun 2. He's just announced Top yeah. Gun 2 this week again. Live, die, repeat again and again and before and yeah. back. <laughs> he's got that movie to do, which we're very excited about. So maybe this is more of a scheduling thing around Cruise than it is anything else. Yeah. Just mm. my top run's worth, uh, I don't know for sure. Haven't seen The Mummy yet. We shall see. Um, hey, well, we mentioned uh, Top Gun. There was also news this week that Joseph Kaczynski is the frontrunner to direct. Obviously, he has form with Tom Cruise. Yes. Um, and he knows his action, so it's not an impossible thing. He's got uh, the firefighting drama uh, Granite Mountain, which is out later this year, so presumably after that, as far as we know, his schedule is clear. So, uh, so yeah, it could be an oblivion reunion for those two. Wow, it's exciting. Mm. Do we think this is going to happen? We've been talking about Top Gun two for years. I, it is one of those things I believe when I see it in production. The most important question that we need to ask, is Kenny Loggins still alive? Because if he's not, really, this can't go ahead. <laughs> I believe um, he is. He was in an episode of Grace and Frankie. Excellent. I don't believe he's Kenny Logouts quite yet. Steve, that's the kind of headline I would have used on the obituary <laughs> back in the day uh, uh, and probably been pilloried for it. Do you want to tell the, the good listeners what you did once? Oh, God. So Confession is good for the soul, James. Yeah. yeah. So Michael Kamen, the, the great composer, great Michael composer Kamen, yeah. may possibly have died a while back. And it was a different time. We were young and we were free. We were reckless. And I wrote an article with the title, Kamen Went. 
Oh, James. Oh, James. James. It's possible it wasn't. I mean... It wasn't a top pun. (laughs) Well, quite. How long did our headline stay up? It didn't. It never came down. (laughs) Really? I was very, very bloody-minded. I weathered the criticism and just dug in. (laughs) I doubled down on the whole thing and refused to change it. Um, It was your own Russia probe. If you you search, if the website search worked, you could use that and it's it's probably still up there. Google it. It might be there. Find it. Even now, hashtag too soon. Uh, yeah, it that, really is. That's extraordinary. Yeah, well, wow. No, but do you remember when, when Alec Guinness died and all the newspapers used headlines that would have had him spinning in his grave? Obi-Wan is at one with the force was one that one of the oh, tabloids used. That's like, bad. Oh, my God, what's wrong with you people? Mm. You know, that's not even a pun. And the no. man was in kind hearts and coronets, apart from anything else. <laughs> my God. Um, there is some other news that we should discuss, big stuff this week. Uh, so there, there was a, quite a bit of Spider-Man news. There was a final yes. trailer for Spider-Man Homecoming, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> Recommend yep. having a look at that if you haven't already. Tom Holland has also been announced to play a young Nathan Drake in Uncharted. Yes, he which, is. Which Tom Holland? Yes. Uh, Nick is not It's the historian is going to play the young... <laughs> He's far too old. Nathan Drake. They should cast the director of Fright Night instead. He's much better. <laughs> Just right. Um, uh, a fourth Tom Holland, by the way. me a bit, which is... Kind of ironic because um, you know I railed against Andrew Garfield's casting of Spider-Man, and then when Tom Holland got the Peter Parker gig, I was like, "Yes, perfect casting." And now uh-huh. Tom Holland's been cast in something that I think he's completely wrong for, <laughs> um, which is uh, Nathan Drake in the Uncharted movie, which has obviously been hanging around forever. But to be clear, they've taken a slightly different track. So this isn't the classic Nolan North Nathan Drake. This is the yeah. so like in yes, Uncharted three five-year-old. Yeah, it's, well, not five-year-old. It's, 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 it's the no, but it's that they've, they've they've gone for the it's younger the Drake. Nathan Drake. No, hang yeah. on. This I'm is like. It's they're Nathan making Drake first class. Right now, they're making a, a sort of young Tomb Raider movie with Alicia Vikander as a sort of twenty-one-year-old. So you're saying it's part of the shared universe, and they'll end up going out. There was a suggestion that there could be crossovers between mm. some of these games because they're all with the same publisher, I believe, or there are links between them. I think, yeah. It is not impossible. That's make, all I'm that saying. That would upset me even more. I think. It's, well, Tomb Raider is owned by Square Enix, I think, and it's PlayStation that published Uncharted because Naughty Dog are there. Uh, the I, did, I did definitely read this. It's possible there's some kind of deal that ties them together. They're not owned by the same people, but um, yeah, I mean, let's hope that never happens. Well, that feels unnecessary because they're both kind of lone wolves, and they're both, kind of, you know, the game's the same. So yes, it does <laughs> feel slightly redundant. Um, but this is I, a funny thing to do. It's an odd thing to do. Yeah, like I, mean, I mean, look, if there had been a lot of Uncharted films already out there and you decided to do an or- mm. like a prequel origin story thing, I get it. But this is the first time you're introducing the character to lots of people. Why not have him be at, like he is in the games, yeah. which is what people like, which is the whole reason people are making this film. Because there's young Nathan Drake in the most recent game, but he's very, very young. And But I think this is more equates to, in Uncharted 3, there's a sequence where he kind of first meets Sully for the first time, where he's kind of like a, an errant teenager. Yep. It's, it's kind of that there's a couple of, Yeah, there's a couple of flashbacks in the, in the games. but They're not high points in the games. I don't really want to watch a film about it. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're trying to get away from Indiana Jones. Maybe, you know, mm, it's it's yeah. very much in the same ballpark as Indiana Jones. In fact, they even got Harrison Ford to play one of the games in one of the most awkward videos you will ever watch <laughs> if you go to YouTube. But aren't they just getting it closer to young Indiana Jones? Uh, that's what people want. Yeah. That's what people want, Helen. More young Indiana Jones. Um, yeah, I'm not happy about this. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm really unhappy about it. Is Michael Sarah going to be cast as Sully? I just, you know... I, 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 but you're I, liking him at the moment. He's very good as uh, Wally Brando in Twin Peaks, uh, but I don't want to see him as Sully. Hands off. Fair enough. Um, okay. But we'll see. We'll see. You never know. Uh, wait, I've just done digging and Tomb Raider was wrong. It's Tomb Raider possibly co- crossing over with Just Cause, Hitman, Deus Ex and Thief. Yes, yes, those are all. I mean, that would be 
the crossover to end I cinema, just, I think. I, we, never I don't that. think it will happen. The shared universe thing is getting out of hand. I mean, we're going to cross over the Picture House podcast next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the That'd shared cool. po- podiverse. Uh, yeah. There was other Spider-Man like news, though, just to get back to Spider-Man yes. for a second, which is uh, Tom Hardy being cast as Venom for Zombieland director Ruben Fleischer for a Venom movie in October 2018. Yeah. Come and face me, Spider-Man! I liked Chris's uh, idea for this film. They should just be called Brock. Yeah. And just have Tom Hardy stuck in traffic for 90 minutes. (laughs) On his way to see Spider-Man. As far as we know, uh, the Marvel-Sony deal is such that these Spider-Man spin-offs won't contain your actual friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. He won't be in them. Yeah. So Tom Holland will be off trying to grow a moustache to play Nathan Drake. <laughs> so, uh, <sighs> desperately, facial hair! For the, for, um, the, for the benefit of me, because I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't remember a whole lot about Venom. Like, Spider-Man 3, I blocked uh, it out almost completely from my mind. All I remember is the bit where he dances down the street. And uh, yeah. Eddie Brock is a photographer for the Daily Planet. He's yeah. also a bodybuilder. The um, and Daily uh, Bugle. Not Daily, Daily, sorry, Daily not Daily Planet. Sorry, I'll comic that's one shared universe too far I think Uh, for the Daily Bugle and he um, uh, he inherits a symbiote when Spider-Man rejects it so the symbiote is like a a jilted lover and it teams up with Brock and they're both and he's jealous of Parker's success and it's a whole thing and they they hate Spider-Man although Venom's Venom's become quite the anti-hero in his own right he's got a run of loads of comics on his own he's more of a kind of he's become a (sighs) redeemed since then it's been rather it's rather tedious I think the the glamorization of of Venom over the years Mm. well literally I mean I've said this before but like show me a bad guy who's been around for like three movies and not been turned into a good guy or in this case like comics and he's one of those 90s comics characters that I just can't be having with well, it's, I like the the Todd McFarlane Venom stuff, and I was I just I think he's an interesting character. He's very muscular. He has a, a long sort of prehensile tongue and sort of slavering uh, teeth. And this is your it's, Tinder uh, yeah. profile, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I tend to use that. Um, no, I, I don't know. I, I really like Venom as a character, and, and one of the reasons I hated Spider Man Three so much is because they ruined him. But uh, well, Sam Raimi, of course, did not want to have Venom no, in yeah. the movie, and did it under duress. Mm. And I think you can tell by the sheer lack of interest yeah. in the character. It's cinematic passive aggression. <laughs> it, it really is. All right, I'll show you. Uh, so Never underestimate Tom Hardy, though. I no, would, of course I would, not. I would, I would just add that as a word, because, you know, Locke on, the, on paper was not the most thrilling Locke on films. paper is a terrible idea, and yet it's yeah. great. And yet, mm-hmm. you know, he, his performance kind of turned that whole thing around. Well, obviously, you know, well-directed and good script as well, mm. but he, he was definitely a big ingredient. So... I mean, I don't know a lot about this. I'm a little sceptical, but we'll see. Possible red flag is the director, Ruben Fleischer, whose first movie, Zombieland, I thought was terrific. Mm. And then he followed up with 30 Minutes or Less, which, uh, apart from being grammatically incorrect, (laughs) uh, was rubbish. And then Gangster Squad, Squad, which was even worse. So he's two for three. Mm. One for three. In terms of being terrible. Let's hope that this one is puts him back on form. Yeah. Um, a couple of other very quick things to touch on. Uh, in in OK News, Sam Mendes is apparently potentially directing Disney's live-action Pinocchio. Um, your nose are... did not grow, so I believe that you're telling the truth. Thank you so much. Uh, so, yeah, that that could be cool. He was There was talk last August of him directing a live-action James and Giant Peach, uh, and this seems to be a switch, which would mean that he didn't do that. He did this mm. one instead. Um, and... Yeah, there was, I mean, there was. there have been a lot of Pinocchio stories. Guillermo del Toro was doing one at one point, although he always has 16 projects on the go. Um, and at one point, Robert Downey Jr. was going to do one with Ben Stiller, which also, we don't know where that is. So 
this is very early days. Don't exactly, uh, don't don't assume anything too soon on that one, I think. Um, in slightly less welcome news, and bringing us back to games, Yeah. Resident Evil it's, is being planned for a reboot. I mean, they had, they just had the final chapter, yeah, like just now. The corpse isn't even cold and they're digging it up already. I mean, I think they should have trolled everyone who's just called this new one the first chapter <laughs> <laughs> and announced it the day after the final chapter came out. But this is like, Anderson isn't necessarily involved in this, Jovovich isn't necessarily involved in this, we don't really no. know if anyone's involved in this, we don't know that there's an appetite for it, or what it's going to do. Um, but, I, I mean, I can who, only... Who will preserve the sanctity of the original series? <laughs> well, quite. I mean, maybe it's going to take a different track, because the games have kind of reinvented themselves. Uh, you shock me. Yeah, the most recent Resident Evil was a kind of departure from the games of old, and we kind of went to a more of a kind of a haunted house vibe um, with... Uh, psycho hillbillies and weird black substances uh, but it was very scary and it was very good it felt like a really frightening game again which the franchise hasn't been in a very long time so maybe they're going to try and do something similar with the films yeah. uh, my, my favourite memory of Resident Evil is uh, sending Nick to Mexico to go on the set which one was this? Who knows? <laughs> and they flew you in like a cargo plane and then told you not to leave the hotel or you'd be promptly murdered. Yeah, it was, it was one of my more frightening uh, <laughs> trips abroad. Uh, it was quite an interesting episode, I remember, because they, they, that was the first one with the zombie ravens, zombie crows. Who can forget? And they were literally sellotaping like, bits of raw meat to birds. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and dogs. And it was just, yeah, I'm sure it was slightly more advanced than that, but uh, that was apparent. That was I amazing. think that was the third one, and I think that's what, the one that has the line about the virus dried up the rivers. Now, if anyone out there a, can explain mm, that to me, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that's it out. Just yeah, science. It's science. It, it you wouldn't, happens, you wouldn't have San Helen, uh, so there um, you go. Uh-huh. But yes, we'll, we'll see. It's obviously like a huge brand name all over the world. Mm. Those films do well, don't they? The rest of they make a decent amount of money. I recently did a movie mastermind special with Mila Jovovich and Paul W.S. Anderson uh, where I asked him 10 questions about the franchise, uh, the same questions. And one question I asked him both, but I didn't include it in the piece, was, as quick as you can, can you name all six Resident Evil movies? <laughs> <laughs> That's Go, mean. James. Resident Evil, Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3, no. Resident Evil 4, Resident Evil 5, and I believe the last one is Resident Evil 6. That is correct. Well done. <laughs> there was a retribution in there. Apocalypse. And an apocalypse. Afterlife. There's an afterlife. Extinction. There's an afterlife. Extinction. Aftermath. And no, afterlife and the final chapter. After Sun. What's, right. the, what's the second one called? Apocalypse. Apocalypse. So it's Resident Evil, Resident Evil Apocalypse, Resident Evil Extinction, Resident Evil... Fucking hell. They've, clearly, they've gone to thesaurus.com. <laughs> it's Afterlife. Four is Afterlife, isn't it? And what, five is Retribution. Five is Retribution, and six, six is, is the final chapter. chapter. Nobody can get that wrong. <laughs> like Resident Evil Sellotape Ravens or something. And, and you know, mixed up. Yeah, they, they are a little bit interchangeable, the titles. Yeah. Yeah. But there you go. All right. Oh, and, and last but not, and certainly not least, Star Wars. There's been a lot of Star Wars this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, New issue Vanity Fair came out with lots of pictures and information from uh, The Last Jedi, which is quite exciting. Uh, we found out that uh, Laura Dern will be playing uh, Vice Admiral Holdo in The Resistance. Uh, Benicio Del Toro's character, we found out, doesn't actually have a name. They call him DJ, but that's not his name. He is a shady character of dubious but elite. Is he just a DJ? He could well be. A d- <laughs> no, but they said, uh, Ryan Johnson said, uh, there is a reason why he's called DJ. It will become apparent, so I can only assume he is a DJ. It's 8.30am um, in Coruscant. <laughs> I've got the weather. Yeah, uh, the beats. Presumably, he's a DJ at Canto Bite, which is the casino planet or casino city that part of the um, 
the film will take place in. Yeah, the, the images from that looked really interesting. Mm. It's a kind of we haven't seen that kind of environment in a Star Wars film really. It's like apart from I guess the opera. Yeah, the opera is um, the, the only closest mm, thing uh, in the prequels. But yeah, it's a high end. I don't know if it's a casino planet or just a casino. Well, he says planet. city, I think, because uh, Ryan Johnson talks about it. Is he wanted to do that? You've never seen ultra glamour yeah. in the Star Wars universe, and so he wanted to go completely the other way from the used universe and go oh, super wow. posh. Well, what was okay. really exciting was the aliens that are shown in that Vanity Fair in those, in those photos. Are, are ones that we haven't really seen before. There's yeah. so much new stuff there. Really and, interesting uh, designs as well. Yeah, and it's doing what what um, uh, what uh, Maz Kanata's castle kind of did in, in Force Awakens, isn't it? Giving you a chance to really live that cantina experience and see all these weird and wonderful creatures that kind of Neil Scanlon's pulled together. Yeah, I love seeing all the practical, all the practical. Oh creatures. yeah, it's amazing. It's uh, it's super exciting. But yeah, Laura Dern's got amazing. Uh, is it purple hair? Yes, yes, she does. <laughs> Bright purple hair. And why not? Indeed. Uh, yeah, no. So that was that was pretty cool. We learned that uh, Luke's not living alone on Achto. There are there's a, a race of caretaker creatures there as well. Uh, How? Where it's tiny. It's presumably there, much it's, like the TARDIS. It's like, a, it's it like a, uh, an archipelago, presumably. Okay. Many islands. Perhaps. And there's little beehivey sort of stone houses that they all live in. Which is kind of cool. Which so, are fantastic. real actual. Uh, well, parts. apparently, apparently they weren't. They had to reconstruct them. They are. Yeah. They are right for that. Area, but yes. there weren't any there, so they. But there are, yeah, there yeah. are in the area. Yeah. Looking forward to that. The Star Wars: The Last Jedi out in December. Very, very good. Uh, and of course, we're going to uh, end the news section with the very, very sad news this week that the great Roger Moore, the third James Bond, and for many people, the Bond they grew up with, maybe the, even the best Bond, um, passed away at the age of eighty-nine. Uh, Roger, of course, was a veteran of the Empire podcast he appeared on the show twice and we had an absolute Nick and I interviewed him both times had an absolute blast both times just an, an amazing guy there, is, there was nothing he wouldn't answer and <laughs> was, I mean he really I mean we, we talked about because we did Pint of Milk with him as well and mm. he was game for anything He was yeah. all, and just always put a really funny warm spin on anything you could throw at him he was never flustered yeah uh, he honestly is an absolute... I, I met him four times. He was such a delight. His book, My Word is My Bond, is one of my all-time favourite celebrity autobiographies. He's hilarious in it. And he confesses to an affair with Miss Piggy, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Scandal. Um, wow. I'm, I met him at the 2006 Empire Awards in the company of Tony Curtis, which is a bit of a, was a bit of a thrill for me. So I have two degrees of separation to the entire cast of Some Like It Hot, which is pretty... <laughs> um, and, uh, and, I mean, the, the pair of them... T- either of them would have been amazing the pair of them together was just in you know, just insane uncontrollable amazing the persuaders back together the persuaders again for back one together. night only yeah it was, it was magic I, I was chaperoning him that night and i remember he'd just seen peter jackson's king kong oh, and yeah. he was really excited about it and he was telling me about the size that he was surprised how big the monkey was <laughs> that was my first conversation with roger moore <laughs> well, was how big the monkey was. king kong very large monkey it was a very large monkey um but yeah yeah he was wonderful yeah amazing and of course you know bond dominates his career uh, I think dominates people's remembrances of him and he made seven bonds still an official record Connery of course made six official bonds and one unofficial bond which is cheating but there you go uh, seven bonds so he did uh, Live and Let Die The Man with the Golden Gun The Spy Who Loved Me Moonraker For Your Eyes Only Octopus and Octopussy Octopussy <laughs> and A Few to a Kill um, and I'd say four of those are absolutely stone cold all time classic bond films Living and Die and Spy Love Me in particular are huge, huge movies for me as a Bond fan. And and there was something about his Bond that I think Pierce Brosnan's the only one I think who's come close to that, that, that sort of element of 
playful elegance mm-hmm. that Moore brought to it. You knew that he never took the whole shebang seriously at all. The eyebrow was permanently raised. <laughs> uh, and he had a wonderful way with the droll one-liner. Uh, he could make anything look good, including that bloody Savari suit. And he was just... A really, really fun guy who was aware of his limitations. If you read his books and you listen to his appearances in the Empire podcast and all the other interviews that he did over the years, yeah. he was aware of his limitations as an actor. But as a movie star, as a James Bond, he was fantastic. Um, and of course, he was a pretty good actor as well. Was the right. Man Who Haunted the man Himself. The Man Who Haunted Himself is great. Good film. Uh, and he showed up now and again in stuff like The Wild Geese. That was a lot of fun. And. Obviously, there was The Saint on TV and The Persuaders as well, and uh, did a, you know did a lot of good work for charity. Obviously, as as you know, an ambassador for UNICEF, mm-hmm. and uh, was just an all round bloody great bloke. Lots of lovely things written about him, though. I would like to flag up Neil Alcott, friend of the Mag. Neil uh, wrote a really touching piece uh, on the Incredible Suit, which I really liked. So yes, I do recommend people go and read that. Really lovely tribute to um, Roger Moore because he's a massive, massive fan. Yeah, indeed. And of course, he was yeah. with us when we interviewed him for the first time. Um, and I, I know this feels like we're desperately cashing in, but, but we're not. Uh, as a tribute to Roger, we, we'd we found out that that Roger Moore special from 2012 had actually somehow fallen off the internet. Because um, as we all know, the internet is flat. <laughs> uh, so things fall off the edge now and again. Uh, and so quite a few of our early podcasts have fallen off. We have yeah, about and, the first 40 numbered ones yeah. and any specials that fall within that timeline have sort of dropped. So that would be dropped. the Avengers Age of Ultron. I mean, loads, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. We need to figure You can still out. get them on SoundCloud yeah. if anyone wants to listen to them, but you can't get them through iTunes. Okay, we'll try and figure that out and put them up. But we realised that the Roger Moore special had fallen off, and so we have put it up with a bit of a coat of paint. So it is there now for you to listen to if you fancy that. And uh, and it is. If you want to hear us attempting to explain the plot of Inception <laughs> to Roger Moore <laughs> and failing quite miserably. <laughs> um, there you go. I hope he went away and watched it afterwards. Favourite Roger Moore moment very quickly, Helen? I mean, I don't know, the double-taking pigeon. No, I was so going honest. to say <laughs> I'm so sorry. God damn it. <laughs> double-taking pigeon. Jimbo. Uh, uh, pulling off his uh, prosthetic third nipple, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> always a classic. All right, yeah. It's going to be the Union, Union Jack flag parachuting off the oh. cliff for the oh, yeah. Stop of, getting uh, born wrong. Lemon piping uh, yeah. on the suits. But yeah, uh, opening of Spy Love Me. Is that really, yeah... His bond was particularly useless in many ways. Like he was, he was <laughs> someone who would walk into a, a hotel and just blithely announce that he was a spy, and he would. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. There's a bit in *Live and Let Die* where he, uh, he seduces someone with a sip. Doesn't he? Has he has a magnetic sip that he uses to uh, undo this is the, watch. the lady's oh, watch. watch? Yes, yeah. he uses to undo undo the lady's dress and. It, and I don't think anyone other than Roger Moore could have got away with that facial expression <laughs> at that time. That kind of, and, you know, well, of course. Well, that's true yeah. of most of his facial expressions, in fairness. <laughs> yeah. he, definitely, he definitely was in on the joke. He knew, yes. I mean, he talked to us about that and he said, you can't play this character straight because he's completely ridiculous. Yeah. Everyone knows who he is and he's meant to be a spy. So he just went with it and just and amplified it. I do think that's really interesting about him. I think every other Bond has tried to do Bond right. And I think... Roger Moore just tried to have fun. I mean, he said it, you know, I feel, I feel like if I'm having fun and you'll hopefully have a good time watching me have a good time. And yeah. so... If you want to see yeah. Roger Moore really having fun, watch the movie Boat Trip, or rather just <laughs> skip everything else and just watch the Roger Moore scenes, because uh, our, our writer Damon Wise uh, turned us onto this, but he's uh, Roger Moore is hilarious in this film, especially a bit involving a sausage. <laughs> 
Uh, that's your favorite Roger Moore moment. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. We, I feel extraordinarily lucky to have met him, uh, even for only a brief period. And uh, he was amazing and a huge part of my childhood growing up. And he will be absolutely missed. Uh, the great Sir Roger Moore, who died this week. Okay, time now for this week's guest. Uh, he is a director who you cannot pin down. He moves around from genre to genre. He has directed some fantastic films over the years, including the likes of The Bounty, No Way Out, which is a fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, Kevin Costner, Gene Hackman, do check it out. Uh, and 13 Days, again, with Kevin Costner. But this week, Roger Donaldson returns as a director of a documentary, McLaren, which is about Bruce McLaren, uh, who was the inspiration and driving force behind the McLaren racing team that went on to dominate Formula One. Uh, Bruce McLaren died at the age of 32 in a racing accident. Uh, but Roger Donaldson has a huge affinity for the subject, has made this documentary this week. He came into London and I went along to have a good old chat with him. Enjoy. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Roger Donaldson, director of McLaren. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Thanks for having me here. Uh, thanks. No, thanks for being here. Uh, this is a bit of a tour of the world view, isn't it? You come from well, it LA. Is. I, I've just flown from Los Angeles. I'm, I'm sort of starting to come awake. It's about midday now, so. <laughs> time to get up. Sorry, my questions will send you back to sleep again. Okay. <laughs> Far away. <laughs> so so uh, what's, there's a lot of interesting things about McLaren, one of which is, of course, the fact it's a documentary. Uh, can you talk about the approach to this film? The, 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 well, this, I, haven't this done, I haven't done a documentary for many, many years. The last yeah. ones I did were back in the 70s. And I think, you know, the documentary genre is, is, is staging, well, not a comeback, a sort of... Um, a renaissance, you know, the, I think streaming television has made it, um, and the the advent of digital filmmaking, those two things together have mm. sort of made it so that people want to watch real stories. And mm. uh, from my perspective, the, the Bruce McLaren story was worth telling because the McLaren Car Company, of course, is a legendary brand. Mm-hmm. Um, people have heard of the McLaren Car Company, but few could probably tell you why it's called a McLaren and that it had its origins in New Zealand. And so... Um, having seen Bruce race when I was a boy and um, met his father when I was uh, in my early days of filmmaking, mm-hmm. I felt connected to the story. Uh, yeah, I mean, sir, I, I'm a Formula One fan, but I couldn't have told you that, uh, you know, for example, yeah. McLaren was named after Bruce McLaren. No. Uh, well, there you are. See, uh, yeah. I think so. There's a story to tell. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he had an incredibly interesting life and what he did in such a short period of time was quite remarkable and that period of motor racing was incredibly um, formative, important. Um, mm-hmm. It was the changeover from the sort of, you know, um, motor cars being, you know, fuel fuel bombs, fuel tanks with, you know, yeah. people sitting inside them to, you know, the safety standards that started to come in towards the end of the 60s. Is this, is this a subject, uh, speed and racing, that you are drawn to? Because obviously you directed the world's well, fastest I've, I've Indian few, as well. Yeah, I've done a few things that are sort of, uh, possessed by speed, starting back with my documentary called Offerings to the God of Speed, which was a documentary about Burt Monroe that mm-hmm. many years later led to my film, uh, The World's Fastest Indian. Um, I made a documentary about a, a, a Suzuki works writer called Jeff Perry, who was tragically killed in the middle of making the film when a plane he was on crashed that okay. I was supposed to be on to. Wow. Um, to uh, this film. Yeah. And the the... the Documentary for me to say, I think it's undergoing a bit of a, a renaissance, a, a bit of a golden age of documentaries. Yeah, that's what I was looking for, golden age. Is it easier to get documentaries made these days? Is this something that... Um, 
I don't know about easier, but I think, you know, you, you can start a documentary at least with much more uh, simple, you know, with a camera. You know, if you've got a camera and a sound recorder, so you can start shooting something. Yeah. And the cameras, you know, you can do 4K quality for, you know, relatively a song. And you've got images that, I mean, even with your cell phone, you can shoot very good quality stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, you can do stuff now that you couldn't do just a few years ago. Because there's a fascinating sequence in the in the movie. Two two sequences really stuck in my mind. Uh, one is that obviously Bruce McLaren died when he was 32. Yep. He died uh, he, he he died um, in, in, a, in a car uh, accident. And uh, um, you have people who knew him at the time, people who were there at the time, talking to camera. And it's an incredibly powerful sequence because they break down on camera. They cry on camera, as I recall. I think one of the things that I did bring to the movie was that I created a rapport with the people that I was talking with. You know, mm-hmm. there were, many of them were people of a similar age to myself. We were talking about stuff that we both remembered. Um, I think I was able to create with them a sort of a, well, you know, an intimacy that uh, they felt they were not vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, one's instinct when you're telling these sort of stories is to keep your feelings to yourself, you know. So the the challenge for me as a director was to make them, get them to communicate with me and ultimately the audience because they're looking straight into the camera through yeah. the, the how I filmed it. Um, it feels very intimate and very personal. And I think, you know, ultimately the people who are being interviewed actually responded in a positive way to it. Yeah. They, they actually didn't regret letting their feelings out they actually felt relieved by mm. being able to tell it as they remembered it so there's never any question of should I keep these moments in these very private moments where they reveal well uh, you anguish. know when you're shooting an interview you don't really think how you're going to cut it up you just know mm. those moments that affect you and you know, if I'm there on the other side of the camera and I'm you know tearing up I know that's emotional stuff that I'm getting mm. and it was emotional because I was involved in what their stories were mm. you know I cared about them as people I was, you know, could imagine, you know, how they, the loss they felt and the depth of their feelings and how, because something had happened 50 years ago and they were still so emotionally connected to it, that these were very, you know, these, the relationships were very important to them still. And obviously they had great friendships at the time. Mm, absolutely. And so it, there was a connection with the past and the present. Yeah. Because uh, one, one person actually says your name. He says, I'm sorry, yeah. Roger, I'm, I'm, it's no, coming back to me, which is... Uh, and there was a moment, you know, do we leave that in or not? But yeah. it was... I think in a way it's a moment that reveals um, well that Phil died not long after we filmed him actually oh, no. um, I think it was a surprise to us all um, but Phil was he really did enjoy is the wrong word but he was he really appreciated the opportunity to tell his story of Bruce because he'd known Bruce from when the time he was 15 mm had gone to America with him, and I'm sorry, gone to the UK with him when he was, uh, you know, a young guy. He'd run Jack Brabham's team, actually, and then they had then gone over and run um, Bruce's team. Mm. They, and then continued on running the McLaren team after Bruce died. So he had an incredibly long, important relationship with Bruce. Amazing. Um, obviously, Roger, I wanted to talk about some of your, your previous films as well. Um, the film of yours that I, I am evangelical about to the point where I show it to, to people constantly oh, I like uh, this. who haven't seen it before <laughs> is No Way Out. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. Which is a, a fantastic thriller. Um, uh, can you, what are your memories of that? Because it has <laughs> an amazing, not to, not to give it away, but it has an amazing twist 
Was well, you know, you the, the movie has a twist to it, and uh, and one of the great things about the press was at the time they nobody ever revealed that there was a twist or what the twist was, <laughs> so it it helped um, people's satisfaction with the film. Uh-huh. Um, but I I enjoyed making that film. You know, I managed to make it uh, quite a bit of it in Washington, although the whole sets for the we built the Pentagon on the biggest stage that was at um, what was then, what's now, I guess, Sony Pictures, but it used to be Columbia Pictures, or was it MGM then? Anyway, it yeah. keeps changing. Yeah, it keeps changing. Um, we, built the, we built this, um, you know, big, big set of the Pentagon. And yeah. then when we were shooting it, we went to the Pentagon and checked out, you know, what the Pentagon looked like. And... We discovered that the the corridors of the Pentagon were not controlled by the Defense Department. They were controlled by General Services or some some name like that, another government branch, and they uh-huh. had control over that part of the Pentagon, the corridors. And so, and they had a policy that any of their um, you know buildings that they were responsible for mm. could be used for filming. So we were able to really film in the Pentagon. <laughs> Amazing. Because it starts like a great shot. There's an yeah. incredible helicopter shot that goes over the yeah. Pentagon towards... The we had this very intrepid yeah. British pilot who was flying the helicopter. And we'd done all these low runs over the Pentagon. And then we were flying over... that We did low runs over the CIA. And then there was uh, we were around the White House. And he, over the thing, was came, you know, you guys trying to get yourself shot down. If you don't... <laughs> if you, I'd get out of there quickly if I was you. This is literally what happened. I mean, you realise the difference. It wasn't that long ago that we were... You know, you could film that sort of stuff and yeah. everybody would leave you alone. Amazing. Yeah, nowadays. I re- rewatched the film recently. Uh, no. Showed it to someone who didn't know there was a twist. That's a mistake I made. I've made it a couple of times with this film. I've shown it to people and gone, there's a great twist, you won't get it. And then they spend the entire movie thinking about oh, what it could be and yeah, they get it. So if you don't tell so them. So especially don't tell people. Uh, but now people who haven't seen it will be thinking, what's the twist? Yeah. But anyway, um, uh, there's a... Uh, uh, it's one of the films as well that established Kevin Costner, I think, as a Yeah, as I think it did have man. a big impact on his career. Yeah. Uh, it came out the same year as The Untouchables. Can you remember right, deliberately where? released it. I think it was made yeah. before The Untouchables, but they released it afterwards because they thought The Untouchables was going to be a much bigger picture uh-huh. than No Way Out. And so they wanted to come onto the, you know, the marketplace having an actor that people knew of that because he never died. I think he'd been in Fandango before that. Yeah. So, but presumably you saw something in him that you thought. Yeah, I this think he was fantastic in Fandango. Yeah. That's yeah. really what sold me. Oh, interesting. Okay, Costner. Uh, I read an interview with him once where he said that Gene Hackman was the best actor he'd ever worked with. Yeah, Gene was something. Yeah. I mean, you don't get any better than Gene Hackman, and I think you know, we. I mean, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of really, really great actors in my films. Yeah. And, uh, is and you're only as good as the actors that you know put the words up there on the screen. Yeah. He's fantastic. So is Will Patton. It's a, yeah, it's a Will's film, really awesome. Film with great performances. Yeah. Uh, it's Gene Hackman. I mean, I've, I've, I've had the, the good fortune to interview Gene uh, in my career as yeah. well. Oh, cool. Is he, is he a director's actor is he, cause he, or is he someone that... Well, he was definitely my sort of actor. You know, mm-hmm. he's a no bullshit, straight to the point. Uh, let's, I'm not looking for my motivation because I know what it is. I'm going to get paid. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, that's the sort of guy he is, you know, and you love that sort of... Uh, but he also comes with a talent that, you know, I think what his talent is, he has that really diabolical sort of smile and laugh to his performances. So when he's saying stuff, you just, I mean, he just relishes the sort of how, how you know, I mean, he's playing the Secretary of Defense in this film and 
he's scarily good. Yeah. Does he, does he do a lot of research? Did he do a lot of You know, uh, he keeps around? it pretty much to himself what he yeah. does. He just turns up and does a damn good job. I know that. Uh-huh. So he's easy to direct and you basically just go, yeah, action, yeah, he says yeah. it. I mean, just everything he does and, you know, you'll do another take and it'll just be different. It won't be any better or worse. It's always good. <laughs> nice and easy. You can go home. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. And uh, what's next for you, Roger? Have you... Uh well, I've got a you know a few things in the pipeline, as it were. You know, it's it's always you know trying to stay relevant. <laughs> you know, I, I've got a a really great story called the Guinea Pig Club that um, is a New Zealand-based production that's set here in Eng- England, in East Greenstead, about a character called um, um, uh, God Ernie McIndoe. I think that's his name. God, I better get it right. <laughs> You'll be fine on the day. I'll be, I'll be okay. Um, anyway, it's about a plastic surgeon who, during the war, um, fixed up burned um, vic- burn victims and came up with new, new new techniques for helping okay. them get through it and emotionally helping them as well. And it's a very moving story. Um, another one of civil rights story that's set in 2006 in the in Louisiana, uh-huh. in a small town where these six kids were g- got involved in a schoolyard fight and how it degenerated into a civil rights case and wow um it was quite an amazing emotional story too and then another one that's about the space program about a character called harrison storms who was behind the um building of the saturn rockets uh-huh. <clears throat> and um when the astronauts gus grissom and the other two astronauts were killed on the launch pad in that fire he took the it's about what happened with that congressional hearing and how he took the took the fall for what happened in the space program continued on and you know didn't stop but it nearly did stop and it was uh, him taking the blame for what happened that made it so it's an emotional story yeah. about what it takes to make big things happen and then I've got a script that I have written with my daughter about a road trip that we took many years ago where I drove to college across America and uh-huh. we got to the other end and we're like god this would make a good movie you know <laughs> well we so we've written the script but it's not the story of us it, but it's inspired by us okay so okay. it's a story of a father and daughter on this road trip across the states and what happens and what happens to them along the way well those are four very different um, projects and again so as you can yeah. see I'm, yeah, that's just I mean I could give you another 40 but <laughs> there's lots in the works always is it harder to get things made these days in, in, within Hollywood I wish it was easier I mean I, yeah. I wish I could just make you know four films a year instead yeah. of wow that's I mean I you know I, I, the problem is it takes time to get them up it takes time to get them cast takes time to get them financed takes time to finish them yeah you know there's always a lot more work that goes into them than you ever ever would imagine does go into them mm. but I keep being lucky and getting to make more well I wish you all the best I wish you all the best with uh, those four and the other 40 you haven't told me about and uh, and fantastic and thanks okay. to Dee from McLaren as well thanks very much for talking to me thanks Roger cheers okay so that was Roger Donaldson and now it's time for this week's movie reviews and we're going to start off with it's like it's a tumble of tepidness. It's like, <laughs> hey, what's there's it? a good what's one. It? There's a good film. What is it? Oh, the red turtle. The red turtle. <laughs> okay, yeah. What's we can reach in? Oh, look, it's parts of the Caribbean. Salazar's Revenge, everybody. Yay! Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Pirates is back, uh, and uh, wow, okay. So, um, <laughs> sorry, that was that was mean, that was mean. Uh, we meet young Henry Turner, who's played uh, as a more or less grown up by Brenton Thwaites, uh, who is on a quest to find a way to free his dad, uh-huh. a.k.a. Or- Orlando Bloom. What? I know. Uh, or Will Turner, if you're going to get 
you know, in universe. Yeah, because then it would be Henry Bloom, wouldn't yeah. he, Helen? So he's trying to, <laughs> he's on a quest to find a way to break his dad's curse and free him from having to be at sea all the time. And the way to do yeah. this, he thinks, is to find Poseidon's trident, which I think we all remember from The Little Mermaid. Um, so he joins forces with a, a, a would-be scientist, Karina Smith, played by Caius Scodelario, who has uh, her own mysterious book of instructions uh, that she reckons will possibly find, lead to something and connect her with their lost dad, of course, and uh, in the mean, in the middle of all this is Captain Jack Sparrow trying to steal money and failing miserably, mm-hmm. and who falls in, in with these two and has to help them on their quest, basically, right? Basically, there's some other stuff going on. It's really complicated. Have all you of made, these have you even mentioned Salazar. Oh yeah, so the Salazar. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy wants some revenge. So. so there's an evil Spanish ghost sailor <laughs> called Salazar, uh, who's played by Javier Bardem, yes. and presumably having visited his wife on the last movie and thought, you know what, this looks like a giggle, uh-huh. um, and he was stranded in a place called the Devil's Triangle, the absolute worst instrument in the orchestra. Um, years and years ago by a very, very young CG-assisted Johnny Depp. Uh, he escapes and comes after them all in a, in, a, in a ship that is like a big giant shark thing that eats Grr. other ships. I will eat you Grr. with her. So that's basically yeah. it. I thought this was uh, significantly better than certainly the last Pirates movie, if not the last two or three. Mm. That's not necessarily high praise, um, but it did feel... Less awful. Um, it has the good sense to to reference Fast Five in its opening action sequence. Does it? Yes, it does. Well, in, in which way? Do they use in, nitro. Well, the, in the <laughs> well, because it no, but well, I mean that would be fun actually. But no, there, there's a scene with a with a, a a safe being pulled through the streets of a town. Oh yes, 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 yes. I had yes, I did that. Did occur to me at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. So um, yeah, so there's mm. there's some fun stuff here. Um, some fun stuff. There's a really there's a really nice scene with sort of baby. Henry Turner meeting Will Turner ten years before this starts, or nine and a half before this mm. starts in the in the opening scene, which I actually thought was quite emotional and kind of set up a little bit of emotion for this film. Mm. But some of the other attempts at emotion are less good. I think it's fair to say. Have you even mentioned Barbosa? Barbosa's in it. Jeffrey so, Rush is in it. Yeah. And yeah, so he has a he has a fairly major storyline going on there as well. Uh I feel I may have oversold the tepidness of this movie <laughs> with my introduction, um, but this is this is f- okay. It's a definite improvement on On Stranger Tides, which was borderline awful, I thought. But I kind of like the Pirates movies. I think the first one's fantastic. I think the second and third ones have a, a lot going for them. There's Obviously, there's loads of excess, and they're overblown to hell. But there's some great visuals, and Gore Verbinski knows his way around an action set piece or two. And I think crucially with the first three, Jack Sparrow wasn't a bloated idiot. <laughs> and there's something about this film that just feels a little off to me with the depiction of Jack Sparrow and how he plays out and how he he reacts to and interacts with the characters around him. In the first movie, he had Savvy. Savvy? Savvy. You know, he, had, he had something about him. Savvy? I mean, he knew what he was doing. He had a plan. Yeah. And even though he was a bit drunk, he still managed to make things happen deliberately, not by accident. He had several plans. He had plans within plans. And I think in this one, the movie happens to him rather than him happening to the movie. And I just wonder if the act is wearing a little bit thin. The character needs to grow a little bit. But apart from that, there's some decent set pieces. New directors, Joachim Ronin and Esmond Sandberg, Mm. who directed Contiki. 
and they've got a good eye and there are some fun set pieces uh, and some fun action moments yeah. and uh, I quite like most of the other characters around Jack Sparrow but just not so much of the Jack Sparrow this time around I think yeah, that would be if he'd go back to being a, more of a supporting character. I think this would have worked better. Indeed, uh, but we gave two stars for Pirates of the Caribbean: Salazar's Revenge, which has the much better title "Dead Men Tell No Tales" in the states. Don't know why it was changed for over here, but there you go. Uh, we do have a spoiler special for this movie incoming. Uh, I went to, of all places, Disneyland Paris recently to talk to the directors Joachim Ronin and Espen Sandberg, and we will be chatting about the movie as well. Some of us will be anyway. Uh, so that's going to be up. Sometime next week, next Tuesday or Wednesday. Do look out for other spoiler specials coming your way as well, including Baby Driver and The Mummy and, and all sorts of, of goodness mm. uh, in the future. And speaking of goodness, of course, brings us to Baywatch. It yeah. does, doesn't it? Uh-huh. It does. It really oh. does. So, yeah, this is, uh, this is Seth Gordon's remake of the 90s TV staple. Uh, it has The Rock stepping into David Hasselhoff's flip-flops as a career lifeguard uh, Mitch Buchanan uh, joining, joining his little band of swimwear Avengers can we call them that um, are John I am not Josh Gad Bass um, uh, Alexandra Daddario who we last saw falling off things uh, with The Rock in San Andreas we did yes um, and uh, Kenny Rohrbach Ilfanesh Hadera and Zac Efron whose stomach has apparently been replaced by a griddle pan <laughs> which was an interesting development um, I don't know if anyone's seen the pictures he is so ripped it's almost obscene he looks like he's been made out of metal mm, isn't there a line his abs have abs I mean and it's, it's he, pretty much that. he makes the rock look a little bit tubby it's just it's weird it's upsetting yeah it is wrong make it stop he's anyway, unnecessarily shredded yeah. so Efron plays uh, Matt Brody who's like an aquatic Olympian he's 100% uh, Ryan Lochte well yes he's Ryan Lochte uh, and he's since been disgraced and as part of his uh, probation he's been foisted upon the Baywatch team um, there is a plot here it involves uh it involves drugs, uh, Priyanka Chopra, a boat, and honestly, who gives a fuck? Because there's, it's, it, there's nothing to it. You're better off just ignoring wow. it. Because this is a comedy, and anyone mm. who's seen the Jump Street films knows we're only here for the jokes. But of course, the joke is on us, because there actually aren't any. <laughs> I mean, you're, uh, you're, not ki- you're not kidding, because this film is two hours long. Sorry, 119 minutes long. That's it right, that's feels like up. four hours. I mean, it, and it doesn't. I honestly don't think it has a joke in it. it ha- what it has is The Rock uh, doing a lot of improv. I'm guessing it's improv because it's not funny enough to him. <laughs> um, it's along the lines of calling Zac Efron High School Musical and NSYNC, and he does that about one and a half minute, uh, once yeah. every one and a half minutes, which is budget for Dr. two hours Cox from Scrubs. But there are no jokes in this film. Um, I mean, what what goodwill you have towards it is purely because of The Rock. And so you've got John Bass's cock getting stuck in a deck chair. You've got Zac Efron sort of massaging the penis of a dead guy. And that's the comedic high point of this film. I mean, I, uh, and I know Helen has a slightly different take on this, I genuinely believe that this film has an astonishing achievement. It has an absolute zero hit rate on gags. Not a single joke in that film. Lens. That's not true, James. I chuckled twice. <laughs> You said three times the other night. And striking one off. Down. I can't remember. Well, at which point? I can't remember. remember. There was a joke at the beginning <laughs> that I thought was, I thought, okay, this is, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of semi on board with this. And uh, it, starts with, it starts with a rock sort of strutting no. down the beach and someone, goes, someone on the beach goes, you've got a huge dick to him out of nowhere. That's I, how this film, no, but I, that's how this film rolls. I, this, this film did actually amuse me. It amused me when it was leaning into the ludicrousness of 
The Rock as a concept and or Baywatch as a concept. Like the, it, it amused me when people kept pointing out that they're lifeguards and they shouldn't be doing investigations that stupid. Um, and of course, if you miss that gag, they do mention it 18 <laughs> they do times. Mention it a few times. What didn't work for me in this film was any time they tried to earn their R rating. I just thought it was boring. It, like The, the yeah. first time they swear, it just feels unnatural and crowbarred in. Yep. And all of the gross out humour was mm. gross, but not necessarily humour for me. So I was like, mm. if they just made a PG comedy out of this I think I actually would have been quite happy yeah yeah because yeah, the swearing is not inventive like no. Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool which just mm. back on Muppet Fart and all that sort of stuff <laughs> and David Poland who's a film writer in the States tweeted something very apt I think he was under embargo so he was trying to like hint by what the film is if you have a film that is a family friendly hit a TV show that's a family friendly hit why would you then shut that demographic out of going to see the adaptation by just swearing for no reason whatsoever. It, it feels hugely misguided. A lot of it feels mean-spirited. It just it, I don't know who this film is for, honestly. It felt like it was trying desperately to be edgy. and But the jokes just go nowhere. There's a scene where uh, just John Bass is having a shower uh, naked and someone walks in and they go, why are you naked? You're, not, you're meant to have your trunks on. And that's the joke. But that scene goes on for like five minutes. Mm. That's it. I just the thing with Baywatch is it is quite objectifying and they make a point of knowing that it's objectifying and this and having fun with the fact that it's objectifying but just because you are knowingly sexist does not make you any less sexist whoa honey Uh, the men are 100% objectified in this as well it's not not, the men have things to do they have heroics they have gags they have what's that thing yes dialogue and the women don't get a lot of any of that they seem so heavily marginalised in this film and it's just it it really really bothered me did you just call him honey yeah I did (laughs) stop objectifying James don't object Um, are you Helen explaining to James again yes I am why join on yeah the three actresses in this I just felt sorry for them because they they literally get nothing to do one of them is just there to be macked over by uh, uh, John Bass I keep forgetting his name I keep thinking he's Josh Josh Gad Josh Gad Josh Gad was unavailable um uh, and is weirdly attracted to him for no reason. He's horrible. He's a, he's an odious. He's the worst character I've seen on screen for a very long time. I I had a, like an allergic reaction to this film. I feel like a sea, I feel like say a poisonous urchin. Sea urchin had, had I, I, to me. I feel bad about dissing this film because obviously we all love and adore The Rock here. Uh, but I think this is a heinous misstep. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's 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 kind of shocking how terrible this film is. It is directed directed in air quotes by <laughs> Seth Gordon, a man who directed The King of Kong, and since then has directed uh, comedies, uh, well, alleged comedies, horrible bosses, Identity Thief, uh, and this as well. And you kind of wonder, is it the same person who directed all those movies? I, I will say that it is testament to The Rock's rockness. That even though this hill, this film is a hateful abomination, you do not come out of it feeling badly towards him. You do not. No, you at do not. All. Well, you, you never. Not. You feel sorry for him. Yeah. Because he's in it. Yeah. But also, Priyanka Chopra's hair remains one of the miracles <laughs> of creation. Like if there was a modern Seven Wonders of the World, like it really should be one of isn't them. That woman is gorgeous. Isn't CG like Javier Bardem's in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean? Salazar tells no tales to dead men while taking his revenge. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at my my notes from the screening, I'm, and I'm I've got phrases. I've morgue. got phrases: penis in morgue, boring, <laughs> and every character acts like they've got brain damage. And I can't remember the specific context it's for that. Not so much notes as a cry for help. I yeah, 
We were looking at each other continuously throughout this film, begging for death. It, it was yeah. quite... I was hoping for a bit of light relief in this, and The Rock does come out of it okay, but you can see that they have basically nothing for him to do, and they're just they're, the script must have said, and now The Rock does something funny. <laughs> And The Rock is a great, great guy and a very funny guy, but he's not a professional comedian. And so he and Zac Efron, also not a professional comedian, can't improvise their way out of this when the script is a mere pamphlet. It's, it's credited to two writers, the script, but there are four different writers credited with the story. And God knows how many writers who aren't credited with anything. It is an absolute mishmash. It is the, it, the apotheosis <laughs> of the sort of crude... Cold-blooded, callous, yeah. overly improv right, American comedy <laughs> that just is that the, Danny McBride was just complaining about precisely. I, yeah, I will say it helps with these if the people involved have some kind of fondness for the, the for what they're doing for the subject they're doing, and I don't get it. You don't get a sense that any of them have any affection for Baywatch. And I oh, think, I think The Rock does. I felt like The Rock did. Yeah, but just in terms of the people making it, writing yeah, it, yeah, and making it, that it just feels like they've gone. Oh yeah, all right. Well, that's kind of famous. We'll do something about that. And and of course. Really, there are two cameos in this, and they're Pamela Anson and David Hasselhoff, and that would be a massive spoiler, except they have top billing <laughs> at the very beginning of the title sequence. Thanks for that. And the uh, cameos make I no sense. I liked the ti- title sequence, though. With the dolphin. With the dolphin. <laughs> uh, oh, spoiler. Can we just say the special effects are absolutely horrendous as well? <laughs> no, but Chris, come on, stop holding back. Tell us what you think. Just finally, I know we are we are basically murdering this, uh, we're kicking this film in, but uh, the, the outtakes are the worst outtakes I've ever seen. Uh, they're literally the actors forgetting their lines and that's those are the comedy outtakes <laughs> now in yeah. fairness also The Rock can't pronounce coroner so we've that's learned right. something yeah, we, we did learn something that's gold yeah <laughs> well yeah that said I kind of liked it <laughs> <laughs> no I didn't listen I'd say all this to The Rock's face <laughs> yeah. yeah from a considerable distance away through a brick door that's what I would do. A brick, but yeah. door. brick door. Get a lot so, of those. A brick door. You know, you know those brick doors. I would make a brick door. I'd be bricking it. So that's why I'd be making a brick door. Um, all right. So we gave Baywatch. Can you guess what we gave it? One star. But the dolphin's good. Yeah, that was the star. <laughs> I genuinely, don't even remember there being a dolphin. It was in the title okay. sequence. It jumped up. Yeah, was it? very exciting. There's, okay. there's, a, there's a number that sort of, anyway. Yeah. I think it was calling Dignitas at that point. <laughs> The opening tile sequence, Chris. <laughs> I had a premonition. Anyway, one star for Baywatch, uh, which that might as well be a must-see. <laughs> Who knows? Um, and then very, very quickly, uh, also out this week, is yes. a fantastic animated film. Yes, it is The Red Turtle, which is a Studio Ghibli production, um, but it's made by their first non-Japanese director, uh, who's Dutch-British, uh, Michael Dudok DeWitt, uh, who is delightful. We, had a, we did an interview with him a couple of issues ago in the magazine. And it is a gorgeous, gorgeous film. It's a man, um, it's almost wordless, so a man is shipwrecked on a desert island. He explores, he tries to find you know, anybody to help, any way to get off this island. Um, Finally, Bill Giraffe tries to escape. Every time he tries to escape, a giant red turtle basically stops him. It overturns the raft and he and and breaks it up and and he, you know, washes back up on the beach. Some other stuff happens that we're just not going to talk about because genuinely (laughs) there are spoilers for this film. Um, But it is uh, sort of, it's magical, it's realistic, it's, it's almost... The animation style is a fantastic fusion of sort of very Ghibli-style, you know, slow, lingering shots of nature and that gorgeous watercolour style that they often use, but also a sort of 
Hergé-style Tintin-looking character in the mm-hmm. middle of this. And it is, it's a gorgeous fusion. It's a really, really beautiful mix of the two. It is a film that will surprise you, I think, I hope, because I'm certainly not going to say anything more about it. And please do <laughs> avoid reading any you know, plot synopses that go on too long. But it is, it's just gorgeous. It's, it's a meditation on nature and life and death and all of that stuff. Um, and it's, it's really, really lovely and I don't want to say yeah. anymore. It's very zen. It's like cinematic mm. Xanax. You come out just feeling <laughs> really calm and it's beautiful. The music's lovely. Yeah, um, yeah it, is. it is. definitely the film involved, featuring a beach to watch this week out of the three. Yes, out of the three <laughs> aquatically themed films of the week. Well, this is by far the best. Well, there you go. Who says we throw this shit together? Uh, four stars in for the Red Turtle, uh, which I guess we would recommend. Someone asked last week, "Is film of the week something that we we do as a regular thing?" No, it's not. But you know, we we do like to point out what film you should probably go and see out of the uh, yeah. other ones we talk about. So the Red Turtle. Uh, I will say as well. Also out this week, we have uh, the Roger Donaldson documentary McLaren. Uh, we gave it two stars. I kind of liked it. I think there's some really interesting stuff in here. And if you are a petrol head, I think there's it's got a particular interest to uh, that group. Uh, there's the uh, the new film from Aki Kurosmaki, The Other Side of Hope. Phil is not here to uh, wax lyrical about that, but we did give it four stars as well. Sadly, we don't have time to talk about it in great detail. And the new film from Christopher Smith, the director of Black Death, Creep and Severance, is Detour. And that is a twisty, turny, timey, thrillery type thing. Uh, so that we gave three stars to as well. It is a bumper week at the cinema. Red Turtle uh, is a recommendation. Uh, and the other ones kind of aren't. But there you go. <laughs> uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We will be joined by... Not entirely sure at this point. <laughs> I think we'll be joined by Tom Davis, the star and co-creator of the brilliant Murder and Successful. If you haven't seen it, do go and check it out. And who knows, maybe someone else as well. Until <gasps> then, I, I, I genuinely have no idea. So uh, until we're flying by the seat of our pants for guests twice at the moment, so it's, it's really quite interesting. Uh, until then... It is goodbye from Helen. Totally. It's goodbye from James. Ta-ta. Actually, you got to wait for 20 minutes in this room <laughs> while we go, and then you just sit here and stew in silence. say goodbye at the end. Yeah, precisely. Okay. <laughs> 20 minutes of silence, and then James will say goodbye, and that's what's going to happen. It's goodbye from Nick. Yep. That, <laughs> if you remember all that time ago, I said hello backwards, and I... Never one not to hammer a joke into the ground. Are you being all Twin Peaksy? I'm being Twin Peaksy. You, you weren't saying? here for that bit. No, no What sorry. were you saying? Yep. Yep. Bye. Bye. Eeb. Eeb. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get it right for next week. Failed experiment. And let's give over me. I'm off to give Nick much needed lessons in talking backwards. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.